Support for today's show comes from Skillshare.com. Now, Skillshare is a site where they have thousands of courses and lots and lots of course instructors to help you not just simply professionally, but personally as well. I know I have a number of my classes there and it's one price per month and it's unlimited access to content. And they give you a seven day free trial. So you can take all my classes that way. And if you decide not to renew, okay, you decided not to renew, I'm fine with that. But I'm just simply saying, it's a place where you can learn and grow and not have to worry about spending hundreds of dollars for courses like so many instructors make you do. Again, use the link in the show notes, get a seven day free trial. It will make a difference in your job search and so much more. And we'll be back in just one moment. Episode 2166 of No BS Job Search Advice Radio. I'm Jeff Alton, the Big Game Hunter, and welcome! Today's show is an interview with Jet Stubbs, a coach and podcaster who, when she was graduating school, went through a journey to find a job because, as a foreign student, she needed to find something within 90 days or be deported, is the fact of the matter. And the lessons she learned to finding work are applicable whether you're a student or a more experienced person. Hope you enjoy the interview. We're just doing this one interview. The only interruption is just following the, inter- the introduction I'm doing now. And we'll be back in just one moment with Jet Stubbs. So my guest today is Jet Stubbs, a career coach and business coach and the podcast host for Happy Career Formula with Jet Stubbs. When Jet graduated from university as an international student, she had 90 days to find a job or leave the country. And I'll speak from experience from my work in search. That is not a lot of time. Since then, she's helped recent grads up through corporate executives find what they love to do and sell themselves in, in Canada, the U.S., the U.K., and in over 40 industries. Jed, how the heck are you? Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. I'm so excited to be here. I'm doing well. How are you? I feel fabulous today, and I know we're going to have a good conversation. Yes, we are. 90 days to find a job. How, how did you pull that one off? So when I graduated from university, I was an international student in Canada. I'm originally from the Bahamas. And so I graduated international student. I was a first generation student as well, which means my parents hadn't went to university. So I was in a country without any family. And if I wanted to stay, I had 90 days to find a job or leave the country uh, because of like the immigration processes, basically. Um, I had no connections no family in the country. And I realized I had a ton of skills. I had volunteered a lot. I had worked a lot. I'd built out my education. I did what I, what people are taught they're supposed to, you know, get your education and experience and hard work, and that should equal success. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> right? That's what we're told. <laughs> but, Why did the universities tell? Yes, okay. Exactly. Um, but then... I sent out over a hundred job applications and I got zero responses. So I was devastated. I was like, how am I going to figure this out in such a short time frame?" And 
I, I mean, I really wanted to stay. So what I did was I took in a ton of resources, newcomer, um, immigration workshops to help you get employment. I didn't have clothes. So I went to the, like the clothing bank to get clothing that they make accessible for new immigrants. I went to my university career center. And then what I realized was I was getting all of this conflicting advice. People were saying a resume should look like this. A resume should look like that. You, you should um, network this way. You should network that way. And <laughs> it just, it didn't make any sense. And then I started to look for the patterns. I was like, this isn't making any sense. Let me look for the patterns for what everybody is saying is true. What all of these sites are saying is true. Are there any patterns or principles that play. And then I took that response rate from a 0% response rate to a 70% response rate. So I sent out an application for 10 job applications and I got seven interviews. Um, and I landed a job that paid more than what I wanted in the city that I wanted to live in at the company that I wanted to work in, in the field that I wanted to work in. And then it started from there. People started asking me for advice. So that's how it started. And I've got to pause for a second because I heard one thing um, that might just slide by the listeners or viewers. And that's the idea that you sent out 100 resumes, no response. But then you sent out 10 resumes mm -hmm. and got seven responses. What did you learn that prompted you to narrow focus to that degree? So... I figured out that what I was doing when I was sending out a hundred job applications is I was basically saying, this is what I've done in the past. Tell me what I can do to help your company. I wasn't giving any sort of guidance. I was saying, I need to make money. Tell me what to do. And this is what I've done in the past. That's what those a hundred job applications were doing. When I narrowed it down to 10 job applications, I really spent time tailoring those applications. And so what I was able to say to employers was, this is how I can help your organization. My resume is a history of solving problems and meeting other people's needs and solving similar problems to the problems that you are facing right now as an organization, which is why you are hiring for this role. I understand your problem. Here is how I can help. This is how you can reach me if you want to move on to the next stage of that discussion. So it was a mindset shift from just saying, this is my education, my hard work, my experience. Um, please help me be me. successful. Please yeah. <laughs> and, and coming in as the beggar. You're right. It's, it, that's how I describe it, too. I said, instead of just begging for any job or waiting for the perfect job to come on your lap and somebody say, here, I'm giving you an opportunity. Now shift it and say, this is how I can help your organization. These are the values, the, the skills, the qualifications and experience I bring to add value to your organization to help you get closer to achieving your organizational goals. And one thing that you didn't mention that I know from, from our conversation previously, it wasn't about just taking any job. It was about yes. taking one that you really wanted. Yes. So what I wrote down when I first started out, which ended up becoming the name of my, my podcast and everything I do now is I don't want just any job. I want a happy career. So I was terrified of being stuck, living paycheck to paycheck, not being able to afford to like pay, pay bills or visit my family. I'm living in a cold country that during that time when I had 90 days to find a job or leave the country, I didn't have money like money was running out i had to walk 45 minutes to work two hours then walk 45 minutes back home so i was almost 
walking as much as I was working. And so I didn't want to be stuck in this cycle of a dead end job where I feel stuck and I feel trapped. I wanted to build a new future that had promise in a new country. So if I was going to do that, I need to figure out what that looked like. And I came up with this formula. First, I started off with looking at what I want my life to look like. So number one is I looked at, um, yeah, what I want my life to look like, what I call desire. So desire is the things that you want to make you happy on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a, a weekly basis. And it's not saying I will achieve X, then I'll be happy. It's saying these are the things that bring me joy on a daily basis. How can I integrate this into my career? And how can I then use these as negotiation points in the future when I'm talking salary negotiation? So that's the first piece, desire. The second piece is I realized I needed to shift from solving a problem to meeting demand. Um, or sorry, I needed to shift from just saying I'm going to do any and everything and I'm begging for a job to solving a problem and meeting demand. So when I made that shift, I really looked at what are the problems that exist that I can start to solve. So the desires, desire is what I want out of life. Demand are the things that other people or companies want out of life that I can help them solve. So that is piece number two, demand. I had to realistically look at what type of problems I can solve. Unless I'm going to pause there for a second. How do you find out? what their demands are, what their needs are. Because it's not like you're applying to job ads, or maybe you were. And in doing so, like, how do you learn what those demands are other than the job description, which may or may not be accurate? So there were a few tricks I used to really start to understand employer needs. One was job descriptions are more accurate the more money that they are paying you. So the more skin the company has in the game, the more money that they are paying you, the more accurate the job description becomes because they don't want to waste their money. They don't want to pay somebody $100,000 and then somebody not get the job done because they didn't actually hire them to do the right job. They're willing to pay somebody $10 an hour and it's a super vague job description and they're generalist and they don't know what they're going to do. So what I did is I looked at jobs a few levels above the one that I wanted to have. So let's say I wanted to be a marketing assistant. Um, I would look at VP of marketing or marketing manager. And as honest as possible as I can be, I would sell my skills using the language of a VP of marketer, marketing um, job description. And when I did that, I started to shift how I talked about myself to just saying, okay, just give me any kind of task. No, I understand the problems that exist within your company. I understand some of the objectives that you're trying to um, reach. These are how my skills come into play using your own words, using words that your company or companies like you are currently using. So that piece was huge. Dissect dissecting job descriptions that were more advanced than the job that I was looking at. Um, and that works best if you look for like a job that maybe is the job, the person that you'd be reporting to or the person that they'd be reporting to. So just look a few levels up. Um, and the job descriptions give you a lot of insight, right? A job description usually says you will be re reporting to so-and-so. Look at that and then Google that job description. So that gives you insight. The other piece that I did that was helpful for me is I started to do some informational interviews to start to dissect what types of problems exist. Um, so I reached out to people who were in the fields that I started to think were interesting. 
Uh, that included reaching out to people on LinkedIn, but more so trying to build a network when I didn't even have a network. So I was at this place where I was reaching out to strangers. And as a recent grad, people are willing to be supportive and they are willing to help out. And people heard my story. They're like, you, you're here alone, no family. You're trying to build a career. Well, yeah, okay, I'll sit and have a 20-minute chat with you about how I built my career. And you're not just going to ask them about how they built their career. You're going to ask them about current problems or trends that they see existing because they have insider knowledge. This is when you're starting to get employer inside information and you're starting to read employers minds almost because you're speaking to all of the people who are inside that organization and you don't need a long time frame to get that done i did this within a 90-day window so that's one piece of it the other piece is an internal piece so you can't solve all of the problems that exist in the world you need to start with looking at what skills do you currently have that can add value to an organization and that's the third piece of my like venn diagram so it's the desire demand and skills piece so i looked at my previous work history my academic history uh, my volunteer experience and i said what did i like doing and what did i dislike doing um, what were the pros? What were the cons? What type of work environments did I like? What work environments did I dislike? What type of activities, subjects? And I wouldn't just say, oh, I liked human resources. I would say, well, when the professor talked about this particular topic in human resources, I found this interesting. Let me Google combinations of these different keywords. And this is what I call a, a job search rabbit hole. And it's not, it doesn't just apply to jobs. It also applies to business. Whenever you um, are looking at unique skills and interests that you have, look at things that you think don't usually go together and then type those in and see what jobs are popping up. You may discover a field that you've never even heard of before because there's so many jobs beyond what you would, what you would find on a career test or on a personality quiz. You need to go well beyond that. And it's interesting, folks, I'll point out a couple of things that she said. Number one is look for language and how to communicate a couple of levels up from where you are, minimally one level up. So you learn the language of the organization. Number two is use informational interviews in order to extract information from people. As a recent grad, she found that everyone was willing to talk to her. <laughs> it's like they show, they show mercy on, on you if you're a student. Exactly. <laughs> And there's the part of all of this where ultimately you have to, to work to solve a problem for an organization. And those inter informational interviews are a way to extract that kind of information from someone who may be doing this, get a sense of market intelligence, and thus be ready for interviewing. How did I do? Was that a good summation? You're, you are really good at memorizing and giving feedback. I, I'm horrible. I have to take like jot down notes all the time. I love that. That was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing Thank you. <laughs> so what I'm hearing you talk about are ways to, in effect, circumvent the line. You know, so yes, you applied for jobs and yes, you got interviews, but you know, they're the people who are just doing that, like you started off doing, and the ones that are working at getting mm -hmm. those interviews and putting in the effort to demonstrate excellence and that you're different than all the other people out there. Yes. And thus, you know, you're doing that through all this effort to do research. Got that one right too? Absolutely. 
That, that's exactly it. And it's so important to do that research to understand employer needs. Yeah, I'll just, you know, maybe this wasn't an issue for you, but I tend to think of, you know, a job is posted and now a firm is inundated with resumes. And, you know, if you apply too late, they're never going to look at your resume. Right. Yeah. Now, like, for example, on LinkedIn, the classic scenario is, OK, new ad up there. Yes, I'm going to apply for this job. Woo-hoo! And the issue comes down to now you're going to go off and do research and then you're going to apply. And by which point the firm may not be looking at resumes. True. This is true. Yes, it, it can happen. What I found is if you understand how to dissect those job descriptions and you look a few levels up, you can start to apply early on. And ideally you want to hit the ground running before. So I, it took me about 30 days before I sent out those final 10 applications. I did give myself a bit of time. I had to, cause I, nothing else was working. <laughs> so, yeah. And you were experimenting and you also got support with dressing for success. Yes. Which was great. Uh, and, and folks, I'll remind you, especially the men, because men are sloppy. Women get it. It's all about you know, how you, you package yourself as well as what you know. Men, they dress like I am today. It's casual. You walk in comfortably and you're not looking great. So that's a reminder for you, for the guys in particular, always look spectacular. They have nothing to criticize at that point about your appearance. Yes, that is true. And so, honestly, it's hard. Like financially, if you don't have any money, I couldn't afford a suit. I eventually had a friend offer to buy me like a cheap suit. But the because a lot of the free places didn't have anything in my size. Hi, it's Jeff. And when I interviewed Jet, she was in the Bahamas. Uh, where she was visiting with her family, out of Canada, being safe. And unfortunately, internet connections drop when you're working in certain places in the world at certain times, like even when the people I talked to are in New York. So we have a brief period here where I made an edit, and I just want to explain what happened. Um, okay. And we were talking about wardrobe and the barriers for someone who doesn't have a lot of money to dress the part at the point that uh, we, we pause there. So is there something you remember you were saying that you'd want to add in on? Yes. Please. So when you're trying to dress the part, if you don't have the money or you don't have the financial resources to buy the suit, the discussion that you have with the employer, with the hiring person is also important. So I remember the feeling I felt when I didn't feel like I looked the part. I had trouble putting off the professional persona if I didn't have the financial resource, if I had scuffed shoes, things like that. That doesn't mean that you cannot get the job. 
it just means that you need to make sure that you are on point when you're having that discussion about how you add value and how you are solving problems and how you want to contribute to that organization. It also could mean that there's space for you to have more of a personal discussion. I talked in my first interview where I landed that amazing job that I was so excited about. I told them that I didn't have any family in the country. I was navigating. I told them my scenario. So you can have those discussions. It's sometimes we get so intimidated by the interview that we get forget that in, interviewers and employers are people too, and they can understand and empathize with your journey. They want people on their team who are going to add value to the organization. And you don't have to necessarily meet some perfect mold for what you're wearing. It's about how you can help. And then when I joined the organization, I got hired, I bought new clothes. And folks, it reminds me of so many stories I've heard, like one of the most, I, I've heard some great and moving stories, like the first uh, African-American software engineer or systems engineer with Twitter and his story that he told in interviews about how he used to have to travel two hours by bus through gang territory. And that was two hours each way, where at times, Everyone knew to bend over so that they wouldn't be seen on the bus and thus be a target. Uh, or someone else who I just interviewed um, who spoke about how he became a TV writer and talking about how what he really wanted to be was a baseball player and how his parents insisted that he take one class that was a real class. And he said, okay, a writing class, that's gonna be easy. And he got touched in the class. And the first major writing assignment he did was sufficiently good. His teacher, who was a Broadway playwright, introduced him to someone who produced the play uh, in repertory theater in Connecticut. And little things change lives. And sharing those stories in interviews is huge for making connection because Everyone says the same stuff. Hi, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be a great employee. I can mm -hmm. do this job. And each person does it in their way. But what makes you different? And that's how you touch the heart of someone in the course of the interview. And a story like yours, like these two people's, you know, makes all the difference in the world. And each of you has a story. Each of you has a way of expressing how it was to be nine years old and how you're now where you are today. So thank you. That's a great reminder for folks. Now, you don't only work with beginners. Right. Like you work with more seasoned people. How do you help them find the happy job, the one that makes them happy every day or most days? Let's get real. Yeah. It's, it's true. So no job is perfect. It's not going to make you happy all of the time. But what you can find is something that gets you closer and closer to your life goals. So what I find is I work with the same type of person. They're just on different stages of their journey. So some people I've worked with on and off for like five or six years, I help them when they graduate graduated out of university to get their first job. Then I helped them when they wanted to go and get an MBA. Then I helped them get their first six figure opportunity. And then now they're looking into branching out and becoming more entrepreneurial. What I found is the principles to sell yourself, to find what you love to do, to narrow down, to work that aligns with who you are, the skills that you want to bring to the table, the problems that you enjoy solving and the lifestyle that you wanna live, the principles for doing that 
and then taking that and selling yourself to do it effectively are the same. So you want to take your client or the employer from a place where they are struggling with some type of problem. You want to tell them specifically how you are going to add value to help them get one step closer. What are the building blocks that you're going to bring to the table to help them get closer to a goal? And then you want to make sure that you're delivering on those results and that you have some way of tracking that or some sort of metric to get feedback from the employer or from your client. Um, so I just teach people the same principles. I just teach them to use different tools slightly. So when you are moving from a more junior level role to a senior level role, you're going to have to talk a lot more about the metrics and the numbers and how you're going to use your leadership, leadership skills to lead teams. What is your leadership methodology? What's your, what are your principles and your values around how you cultivate an environment that's going to help them retain other quality staff members right that's the difference in conversation so it's the same principles i just help people tweak them and see how they apply more broadly to different scenarios so with that person that you've worked with for you know uh, a few years now mm -hmm. give me an example of how you you helped them at the beginning and how it morphed as they got further along is that sure. possible yeah um I'll actually give you a very recent example. So I had somebody that I was working with who was really unhappy with her job. This was about a year ago. Uh, and she quit her job randomly during the pandemic. She said she wanted to totally rebuild. And she came to me and she said, I need to create a new career path. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I've got a couple of months of leeway for funds to figure this out. If not, I can go and beg for my last job back. Um, and so what I did, <laughs> it wasn't the best plan. I would never recommend it. Please don't ever come to me doing that. I'll give all <laughs> that disclaimer. Don't ever do that to me. <laughs> um, but what, what I did with her is I helped her build out a few different streams. So one was we, we looked at the pros and cons from her previous work experience. It's not that she disliked everything, but she like disliked parts of it. So we looked at what worked and what didn't, and we tried to incorporate more and more of what worked into some career options. And for her, she was really passionate about writing and journalism, but never thought it was a, a feasible career. Like, it's one of those fields where you're kind of told you do it, but then how do you really turn it into a way to make money? Most people don't end up working in the field. Who will pay for your writing? There are all these questions that come up. So what, what I did was uh, she had done a lot of work on storytelling and she was undervaluing that. And that's something that's super common when I'm working with people across these different stages. They tend to be undervaluing pieces of what they're doing. And I've done that myself. So I know what that's like. So we, I helped her look at what she was doing that was adding value. What were people complimenting her on? What had her previous employers said was really good about her? What did she do for fun um, when she was really excited on the weekend? What did she do to fill her time? And then how could we incorporate some of those activities into her work? And I don't think that everything that you do for fun should become work. That could become draining. It can create creative burnout. But what are the things that create ongoing excitement for you that you can just learn about for days and days without it feeling like a job? What would you do for free? Um, so we looked at some of those things and we came up with two paths for her. So one is she can do some editing work. She can work with people to hone in their stories, work with a publisher. The other path was she was really good at storytelling and she can start to teach storytelling. And what she ended up doing was getting a job 
teaching storytelling as a faculty role, even though she, she just had an undergraduate degree, but she worked with um, like as an, as an adjunct role with an organization. So I taught her how to analyze where people are struggling right now with their problems. So for her, the organizations that she was working with and pitching herself to were struggling with how to get people to tell stories in a powerful way. Also, she had a diversity lens. So she was coming at it as a woman of color, as somebody who's part of the LGBTQ community. And so she had a diversity lens that was very powerful that she could integrate into her, into her story about how she talked about the value that she could add to an organization. So for her, we looked at getting her short-term income through employment. Um, and that was using the STAR, or as you say, the SOAR approach, right? So I, I teach the more traditional situation, task, action, result. Um, so if we looked at where's the company at now, for her, the, these organizations were struggling with teaching, uh, teaching adults how to, how to tell stories more effectively, but also in a more... Um, conscious way in a more a way that was more aware of the different audiences that they were speaking to but also if they wanted to incorporate like ethnically diverse characters how do they talk about those characters in a way that was authentic she had this unique lens that she'd never even thought of right and so we took that and we incorporated it into a story that went this is the problem that you're having these are the type of organizations that I help I help I help adults understand how to tell stories effectively for fiction stories, but I also can help nonfiction stories. These are the things that I would bring to the table, the skills, qualifications, experience. I have a background in journalism. I can help with um, understanding from a diversity lens, but I also can dissect the stories and teach story structure to help people create more powerful stories that connect with diverse audiences. And then as a result, you'll have people who are able to tell stories that compel and connect more effectively. From that, as she started to craft that message and change her LinkedIn, she realized that people were attracted to the diversity lens and actually asked her if she could do diversity training within their organizations for storytellers. So organizations that worked in storytelling said, hey, can you come in and do diversity training for these storytellers um, to help them craft more well-rounded, ethnically diverse characters? And she said, okay, I've never done this before, these are the skills, qualifications, and experience that I bring to the table. These are the gaps that I currently have. This is how I'm planning on filling out those gaps so I can create really good diversity training around storytelling for you. Those organizations accepted that and gave her her first like $8,000 contract. So now she started to branch out into becoming more entrepreneurial and freelancing. While she was doing that, we also worked on her doing book coaching. So people who wanted to craft beginning to end holistic nonfiction stories who had true stories like mine that are diverse, that are coming from different lenses that are underrepresented in the publishing industry. She had a, um, a voice and a listening ear that was very receptive and easier to, to work with. And so we said, you can be a book coach for these diverse voices. And then she started pitching herself to get one-on-one -on -one clients to help them craft books from beginning to end, including the marketing process. Does that help? It's fabulous. Because one of the things, folks, I want you to hear is that Jet has coached someone in a non-linear way. This is not simply about, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to work hard for the next 20 years. I'm going to work my way up the ladder. 
that part of the world doesn't exist anymore. And the sooner some of you realize that, the better off you are. Jet started off with, let's get some basic income for you. And from there, let's start expanding upon that and see what you really bring to the table beyond simply the job. <laughs> the, the, the thing we are being hired for by Big Daddy or Big Mommy Corporation. And uh, let's see if we can incorporate all your skills and talents. And how in marketing herself, I'm, I know I'm doing pretty well so far. Yes. She suddenly she wound up with an opportunity for a diversity and inclusion uh, assignment with a firm that wanted to have more inclusive characters and stories. Mm -hmm. And from there, that led to training, that led to other things. Uh, and as a result, we, we haven't heard about what how long she stayed in that job. And she may have been able to stay in that job while she was doing all this stuff. But you are more than just simply the job that you're hired to do. You're a whole human being that has lots of talents and experiences that firms tend to ignore because they just need the square peg for the square hole. Absolutely. And for her, she is still working in that book coaching space. She's been expanding and growing her business. She's gotten more training contracts. She's had more one-on-one -on -one clients work with her. And she's also maintained a part-time role teaching as a faculty. And that was one of the first roles that she landed. Before that, she had never made more than $30 or something like that an hour. This In this role, she actually negotiated so that she was making $100 an hour. And it started with I think when they posted the position, they had recommended 50 to 80. And she said, you know, my words just hit her as she was negotiating salary. And she's like, no, I'm going to ask for a hundred because I think that's what I'm worth. And they said, yes, on the spot. Um, so these opportunities can happen and you can make more money than you think you can by combining what you love to do into a strategy to solve problems. So many people think you have to be a starving artist. If I pursue things that I like, I'm not gonna be happy. They think, you know, it's not the career of the century, but this is life. This is what everybody else is doing. How can I think that I can be different? Who am I to think that I can do this? And the truth is you can build out a structure. It's not something that you just listen to for people that have done it on podcasts. It's something that's a very practical process, but you have to allow yourself to learn the tools, to follow the process, to figure out what you want. And it's not as simple as going and taking a, a career test or a personality test and saying, this is what I should be doing. It's helpful insight into who you are and what you may potentially like, but there are so many careers that you've never heard of that are not on those tests. And you need to build out a formula and a process for getting there. And folks recognize that Jet was an, an instrumental ally in this story. You know, she, her client could not have done this on her own. She hadn't done it on her own. So much of what Jet described was the work of what a coach does in order to help a person see things that they can't normally see on their own. So that with support, they can go off and explore some of the options, learn some things, and eventually land in the happy job, <laughs> the happy career that's going to make all the difference in the world. Yes, exactly. What did I do with that summary? That was that was amazing. Your summaries are excellent. I need to work on summarizing as well as you do. <laughs> <laughs> 
what haven't I asked you about yet that I should, uh, that's something we should cover in our conversation? Um, it depends on whether you want to cover this piece, but when I started working, I had, I, in my first 18 months, I experienced a lot of obstacles. So discrimination at work, living in another country without any family in a new city, my mom being stabbed in a robbery. And then- Let's pause on that one for a second. Because <laughs> you kind of- ran that one by could you say that one more slowly please okay about your mom okay um yes so the first one was discrimination at work um my supervisor would make a buzzer noise anytime i said something that sounded like i was for, from a foreign country i i am from a foreign country so that was a lot of words the i was living alone and while i was living alone and working with this uh, supervisor who was prejudiced. Uh, my mom was stabbed 17 times in a robbery and lived, thankfully, but I had to go back home for about two weeks. So I just left work. I sent like a two sentence email to my supervisor saying, I will need to work uh, support from, from out of the country. I had a family emergency. Please let me know if there's anything that came up. And at this point I had already been given like substantial promotion opportunities. I was indirectly uh, coordinating a team of four people. I was 22 years old working in an environment that was 20 people, 25 to 30, um, were considered young people, 25 to 30. Here I was 22 years old, indirectly leading this team of people, leading this office, leading some strategic direction um, for the initiative that I was a part of. And I didn't know how to talk about what was going on at home, what had happened with my mom, what was going on with my family. And I started to become quieter and quieter. I would be epic at getting my job done, but I'd be horrible at talking about myself and who I am as a person. And I felt like maybe I should just try and separate the personal and the professional. Maybe I should just try and be two different people, one person at home, another person who's trying to navigate the professional life. But at this point, both were toxic and in a bad place because I had been experiencing discrimination at work. Um, I had a lot of people questioning who I am and why I should be there. At, I look young for my age now, but even then I, I looked even younger for my age because this is now 10 years ago. And it, <laughs> so when I walked into a room- Let's do the I'm math like, here, folks. <laughs> she talked about being a 22 year old and has now said she's 10 years later. I just so turned 31, nine years later. Okay, okay. Yeah. 31 years old. You're so old now. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked young. I looked really young and I knew it. So when I walked into meetings, sometimes I had people literally refuse to meet me. They said, you cannot be the person for me to speak to to build a partnership with this organization. And going to work and experiencing that after experiencing discrimination from my initial supervisor and then going into meeting after meeting and experiencing conversations like that and then having to go home and then deal with that it was just this environment where I started to fall apart I started stress vomiting at work I started to uh like my hair started to fall out it, I was I was falling apart both like emotionally, mentally, physically, and I needed to figure out how to realign my career because I liked the type of work that I was doing, but I didn't like the environment that I was working. I didn't like the way I was being treated. And I didn't like that it didn't offer the flexibility to support my family or spend longer periods of time with my mom or 
go back and live back home for a while. And I had to redesign my career and go back to my roots because I had started to even believe myself that, well, maybe this is just how life works. I had a good job. I had a pension. I was on the leadership path. I had been recruited onto the future leaders of the organization training program. And, <laughs> and I said, when I told people that I was thinking about leaving, they were like, but but people wait so long to get this job and you got it so young and you're on a path for success and you can be making like in to the six figures and you have educational support so you can continue your education and you can go to school during work. And I'm like, but I can't live the life that I want. And I'm so stressed out at work that I'm not even eating properly. So it like, when is it worth it? When do you, when do you stop and say, I don't just need any job. I need something that aligns with who I am, where I'm at in my life situation. And that's where I revisited and I opened back up what I had done when I had 90 days to find a job or leave the country. And I saw that I had written down, I don't want just any job, I want my happy career. And along that time frame, I had also had people coming to me during my lunch hours and after work and saying, Hey, can you review my resume? Can you help me get this job? And then I helped somebody get like a $20,000 higher paying job opportunity, like an interview 10 days after I revised their resume. And then they went and they went on to get those jobs. And I got to this point where people just insisted on paying me. They're like, I made an additional 20, 30, $40,000 a year based on your advice. And you haven't accepted any money from me. I need to pay you something. It's not right for me to walk away without paying you something because I'm going to continue to make this additional money every year. And I said, oh, you know, I'm helping a friend, a friend helping a friend. It's, you don't need to pay me. And then they started to give me gift cards. And I got to this place where I couldn't afford to pay a bill or help out with a medical bill, but I had this gift card, this like Amazon gift card sitting there with this money that had to be given to Amazon. I'm like, well, maybe I should just accept some money and maybe I should start selling myself and like telling people I can do this for money if I want more flexibility. And folks, just in case you had any doubt, she charges, I charge, <laughs> we all charge at the beginning. She was an amateur. She did for gift cards. She doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> I've never done that before. I get paid for what I do because it's world-class advice and world-class support. And um, just in case some of you thought maybe you could give me a gift card and that would be okay. It isn't. It isn't. They want me to pay the real estate taxes on the house at the end of the year. They're not going to take a gift card. <laughs> Exactly. And what I realized is when you are helping people, people are happy to pay you. So many people think of selling yourself as being pushy, sleazy, or salesy. And you're, you know, you're afraid of being pushy or annoying. And we all dread, you know, that that salesperson that we've hated speaking to that's forced themselves on us. And what I tend to tell my clients is when you go to your favorite restaurant and they hand you the menu, are you mad at the waiter for handing you the menu so you could buy food? Like if, if, you're, if you're being given something that's going to help you, that's going to add value to your life, that's going to help better your situation and get you to where you want to go, you're happy to make that transaction. Do you complain every time you pay for your Netflix subscription or are you happy and just see the money leaving your bank account as you continue to watch Netflix for like 30, 40 hours a month? So it's, 
it's more about are you adding value that people want you feel pushy or sleazy you feel that person person is pushy sleazy or annoying if they're trying to sell you something you have no interest in if they you feel like they don't care about you as a person and they're not trying to better your life that's bad sales that's not good sales that's not what sales should be sales and selling yourself to an employer or to a client is really about seeing where do you want to go well, I will give you these tools and these steps that will help you get there, that you will see a return on your investment, whether that is emotional connection, whether that's prestige or status, or whether it's like what you and I do, Jeff, where we actually help people make more money by getting better paying jobs or better paying opportunities. This has been fun. How could people find out more about you, your work, everything about you? So I have of podcast happy career formula with jet stubs and you can find me at jetstubs.com where you can That's actually j-e-t-t-e stubs.com yes. <laughs> and you could you can find me there you can book a consultation call with me and that's yeah those are the two main places my my podcast if you want to learn more about the desire skill demand framework check out episode two where i actually talk about that in detail for about 30 to 45 minutes and then i walk through the five steps to selling yourself in episode three where i take you straight from no idea the top three mistakes that people make there and then how to get to proper systems to sell yourself and systems apply whether you are creating a system so people can find you on linkedin because you should be continuing to look for jobs even when you have a job and it, those systems apply to business as well, so you can attract new clients. Thank you. So that's today's show. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, here are a few things I can do to help you with your job search beyond simply being your coach. First of all, I've got a new book out called The Right Answers to Tough Interview Questions. It is like a cookbook with answers to tons of interview questions that you're going to be asked on interviews. And if you pair it up with my other new book, The Ultimate Job Interview Framework, they are a, a terrific pair of books to help you with interviewing. In addition, a new service where you can practice mock interviews. If you go to thebiggamehunter.us forward slash mock, I've got a service there, very inexpensive, like $99, where we have mock interviews set up. I'm going to be adding more to it very soon, but you can record your answers to them, and then I can critique them and help you perform better on them. You probably have noticed my show notes are pretty thorough with products and services that can help you with your search. And connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. Lastly, my website has a ton of great information. That's thebiggamehunter.us. Now, if you're not ready to go there and go through the blog, put the address in your phone, thebiggamehunter.us, Jeff Altman. So this way, when you're ready to go, you have a way of getting back to my website. Hope you have a terrific day, and most importantly, be great!